Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Die Tryin', where we talk about the Michigan Wolverines and their quest to beat the Ohio State Buckeyes and win the Big Ten, or Die Tryin'. All right, folks, it's 2 0. We're coming off that week two win, 31 to 10 over the Washington Huskies. And if you break down this team into five units in the offensive uh, passing game, the rushing attack, the rushing D, the pass defense, and the special teams, I think in this uh, Washington game, you are extremely happy with what you saw out of uh, four of five of those units. All right, and let's start with the running game, which was probably the most impressive uh, group we saw on the field in the big house on Saturday against what was a very uh, strong, stout, talented Washington Huskies defense. I mean, unless it's proven otherwise, unless we watch Washington get run over week after week in the Pac-12, which, hey, I don't know if uh, you guys saw Oregon's offensive line. I'm not sure. Yeah, they're on the schedule. Or uh, UCLA. I'm not sure if UCLA is on Washington's schedule's offensive line against LSU. Maybe they will because the Pac-12 seems to have uh, some power running offensive line power up front, uh, more than you typically expect out of the Pac-12. But be that as it may, 343 rushing yards, 6.1 yards on 56 carries, four rushing touchdowns, two running backs over 150 yards against a good defense. Is not just something you don't you don't expect this. Uh, Blake Corum is already approaching nearly 300 yards on the ground on the season as he followed up his 111 yards in week one with 171 against the Huskies, 8.1 yards per carry. Hassan Haskins was at 155 yards. As a team, they just had one negative yard throughout the whole game. Very happy with what you saw from the offensive line. And from what I saw, uh, I heard this. I shouldn't say I saw it. I heard this stat. So I'm going to trust that uh, it was a good source. So I'm going to trust the source was correct, which is that Michigan's running backs are tied with Alabama. Um, They're tied with Alabama in terms of the yards uh, created after breaking a tackle, right? So these backs are doing work. The offensive line has been solid. Flip to the defensive side of the ball. Pro Football Focus had Michigan's defense rated as the number two defense last week that faced a Power 5 opponent. Okay, so, you know, obviously some teams may have had some um, better defensive grades, but a lot of that was likely due to the opponent. So they faced a Power 5 opponent. Now you can say, Dan, (laughs) it's a Power 5 opponent, but one that struggled against an FCS uh, defense the week before, which is 100% fair. Um, but you cannot, you still have to be impressed by the way the, uh, particularly the run defense held the Huskies to just 50 yards on the ground, 1.6 yards per carry. This offensive line is not supposed to be a bad offensive line. In fact, 
many had it graded as the best offensive line in the Pac-12 going into the season. The Wolverines limited them to just 18 yards on 11 carries in the first quarter. Um, They really had the offense shut down only three points to three quarters. The fourth quarter was Washington's top quarter where they put up 145 yards, scored their only touchdown. Uh, You know, the game really never, once Michigan made it a three-score lead, uh, it never felt, once it was 17-0 on that opening drive in the third quarter, it never felt like Washington really had much of a chance. Aiden Hutchinson is having that All-American season we thought he could have. Two and a half sacks, and not just him. They're getting the pressure they need coming off the edge from those outside linebackers. He had two and a half, as I mentioned. Uh, uh, Eugene Upshaw, I almost called him Reagan Upshaw. Uh, Upshaw, uh, his dad was Reagan Upshaw. He had half a sack. Ajabu had one sack. He also had a fumble recovery. Um, Hutchinson had a quarterback hurry. Um, So great pressure from the guys you need. Mozzie Smith uh, wasn't really much in terms of filling up the stat sheet, but Coach Harbaugh brought him up as maybe the third most dominant player in this game after uh, defender, I should say, not player, third most dominant defender after Hutchinson and Josh Ross, who had 11 tackles, including a TFL. He had a pass breakup in coverage, but where I think you're going to see him make the most impact is blitzing. He had three quarterback hurries, So if it's a situation where they only have three or four uh, linemen slash edge defenders up at the line of scrimmage, watch for him to be a blitzer in passing situations. Um, Chris Jenkins, another son of a father in the NFL, really had by far, in my opinion, his best game as a Wolverine. He had five tackles, including half a tackle for a loss. He plays that 3-4 defensive end position where his size is at a premium. Um, that was really impressive, and it wasn't just his stats. He just You just saw him around the ball a lot. You saw him getting a good push, push at the line of scrimmage often. So I was extremely impressed from what I saw from one Chris Jenkins, who I think, you know, and, and, a, and a big theme in this game is, isn't just these individual players, but the fact that there's so many guys that pop, there's so many guys that flash, so many guys that got the opportunity. This is something that a lot of Michigan media people, one of the criticisms of Don Brown was just not giving guys a chance, you know, and and it's and at times it could be a tough criticism because if if you're not watching practices, you don't know whether guys are earning the chance, right? But it just felt like not enough guys, not enough young players got the opportunity to show what they could do so far, especially early in the season, especially games where you have leads. Right now, that's not even an issue. I mean, um, true freshman Junior Colson, uh, one of their top recruits in, in the 2021 class, four tackles in the game. And not just garbage time tackles. This kid was on the field in the first quarter. So Mike McDonald clearly is trusting a lot of his young players. Green Hill is a starter. Moten at safety. Um, Rod Moore, a true freshman. DB, yeah, he gave up a touchdown. But he's on the field. The coverage wasn't terrible. He got beat. Um, 
the receiver got a step on him um, at the line of scrimmage. But overall, he wasn't totally burned. And, and maybe with some more experience, like he got against Washington, he'll handle that situation a little better in the season. We saw a redshirt freshman McGregor, who was coming off a big injury in high school that cost him last season. Um, he came in late and had a quarterback hurry where you kind of saw his athleticism. It wasn't so much that, wow, you know, he did a great job getting quarterback pressure, but when the Washington quarterback rolled out to the sidelines, I think he was surprised with how fast McGregor got to him. So he's that type of athlete that really fits in well with Michigan's 3-4 defense with that edge outside linebacker, hand off the ground. He, he should fit in perfectly with this defense as well or better than he would have in a 4-3 scheme. So everything I'm giving you so far is a reason why Michigan's floor should be significantly higher than most people thought it was going into the season. I think if they can run the ball this effectively, if they can play defense at this level, I think, you know, that number, which in the preseason was seven and a half, which um, I told you was too low, um, clearly now is proven to be way, way too low, right? Because if you can just run the ball whenever you want against a good Washington defense, that means when you play NIU, when you play Rutgers, when you play Nebraska, when you play Northwestern, when you play Indiana, Maryland, those are six of their remaining 10 games. When you play those teams, um, or is it six, six, I believe it's six or seven other, let me, let me do that again. We got Northern Iowa, Rutgers is two, Nebraska, Northwestern, Michigan State, Indiana, Maryland, Seven, excuse me, seven of their remaining 10 games against defense that are nowhere near the talent level of Washington. So if you could do that at Washington without even showing much growth offensively, um, there's no reason why you cannot do it against those seven opponents. And with the way they're playing defense, that alone, that alone, if they continue to run the ball this way and play defense this way, this should be at least a nine-win team. That is the floor. The floor has been raised. Now, what does it take to raise the ceiling? Well, week one, we saw some optimism. You know, as I mentioned last week, Cade McNamara was PFF's top-rated Power 5 QB. Um, last week, it was fine, but against Washington, we did not see a ton from the passing game. And um, should it be a cause for concern? That's debatable. You can make a case for it that, hey, uh, they didn't trust the quarterback. He only attempted 15 passes, um, only 44 yards, 2.9 yards per attempt, which is way, be way below... Um, what you average running the football, even your 6.3 yards per, per completion were, were well below what Blake Corum averaged per run. Um, that's simply not going to cut it. You got no catches on four targets from your tight ends. 
Um, you only threw to your wide receivers five times all game, completing three for 33 yards. None of these numbers are impressive. None of these numbers are going to be good enough when you face a Wisconsin. Probably. Who knows? Because we're not sure how good Wisconsin is. But that's a road game. When you play at a Penn State. When you play an Ohio State. So if you're talking about raising the ceiling for this Michigan team, which is me, which means going double-digit wins, 10-11 games, can they finally crack through and win 11 under Jim Harbaugh? I think at the very least we're talking about that now, right? Where if you brought that up in the preseason, people would have laughed you off off whatever you were doing. Right now, that's that's could be a question. It's a, could they do that? Uh, from what we've seen from those other programs, I don't think any of those three teams have shown their lights ahead of Michigan. But the passing offense will need to do a lot more if this team is really going to have the best season um, in a long time. If the 2021 Michigan Wolverines are going to be the best team of the Jim Harbaugh era and be the best team that we've seen in in maybe two decades success-wise, if they're going to be a 11-1, let's say, type of team that competes and maybe even wins the Big Ten East, they're going to need a lot more from the passing game because it's not 1985 where you can just rely on the running game and uh, on a week-in, week-out basis. Now, the flip side is... um, you know, the problem wasn't that we didn't throw the ball poorly. It was just, hey, if you're not going to stop the running game, we're going to keep running the football, which is fine. I have I have no problem with that. If that's your philosophy, that doesn't mean just because you haven't done, done it doesn't mean you can't do it. And maybe it was a prudent game plan was, hey, they, this team, this Washington Huskies team, has two outstanding starting corners. They have depth at the position. This is one of the better secondaries we're going to be. We're going to face all season long. It's only week two. McNamara is still growing into himself as a starter. It's your first game without Ronnie Bell, your best wide receiver. So that means you're going to have a lot of young but talented, but young and inexperienced. Guys, a receiver are going to need growth. Maybe this isn't the game to grow. And you know what? We don't need to be ready to throw the ball a lot on September 18th. So rather than looking at it as let's force it and let's try to take a step forward, we're okay with just not taking a step back this week because we have. November 18th against Northern Illinois. We have November, uh, excuse me, November. Jesus, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself already, right? Aren't I? In more ways than one. Um, September 18th against Northern Illinois. We have September 25th against Rutgers. Both home games in order to take step forward in the throw game as you ready yourself for the October 2nd game at Wisconsin which is really going to be kind of like a turning point judgment type game for Michigan, where if they can win that one, then it's like, wow, yes, we really, Michigan is a title contender, Big Ten title contender. I'm not talking national championship just yet, 
Big Ten title contender, Big Ten East contender, right? So there's room to grow. Why not play a little conservative this week? I I, I think, I'm not saying it was the right move. I'm not saying I even agree with it. I need more information. I would have liked to have seen them throw the ball more. I would have liked to have seen them throw the ball more downfield. But I can understand the debate, the argument for both sides of that, of why you should have, why you maybe didn't. Okay? Now, finally, I, I got to talk a little bit about the special teams because the special teams was pretty darn awesome in that game. Josh Moody drills a 52-yard field goal with ease. That's going in from over 60-plus on six kickoffs. He had five touchbacks, which is pretty phenomenal, right? Five touchbacks. Um, The one that was returned was only returned for 11 yards by Giles Jackson, a a familiar name. You notice that whenever he touched the football and got tackled, the crowd was a little louder, so they, they had their eye on him, the former Wolverine who left. Um, in terms of the punt game, uh, Robbins averaged 46 yards on his four punts. He had a 59-yard punt. He pinned one inside the 20. The coverage unit was great. Um, one punt returned for four yards. That's exactly what you want. Of course, the key of the game, if there was a turning point of that game, it was a fake punt. With Michael Barrett, the up-back, he is the uh, linebacker who lost his starting job. But don't forget, Michael Barrett, and you know, uh, you're assuming opponents know this. Maybe they don't. Michael Barrett was recruited as an athlete. He was a high school quarterback. He was a running quarterback. And, you know, he's bigger now. He doesn't necessarily have the same body type he did when he came in. But he still has some of that skill set, at least definitely more than your typical up-back. So that's something, you know, that was the fact that he has a skill set to block and you can have a kid who's comfortable handling the football and who's athletic enough and comfortable running the football. That's a huge asset. Why not use it? And they did. And they converted uh, a fourth down for a first down. Next play, boom, that tired defense, which probably exhaled, which was happy to get off the field, had to run right back on the field. And Blake Corum made him pay, right? So uh, we had Corum with 49 yards on two kickoff returns. You'll definitely take that. And then finally, Kane and Colazar, the punt returner. Um, two punts, punt returns for 24 yards. Solid numbers, uh, 12 yards per return. That's something you'll take. He did make a, a, what seemed like a bad decision on letting a punt hit the ground. And uh, Michigan lost some yards for that. And I'm actually, you know, I'm more, I guess, I don't know if concern is the right word, but more concerned about that than than feeling the positive that he did with the return yards because the, he's out there not because he's going to be so dynamic, but because you're expecting him to make the right decisions. And um, as I talked about in the preview episode, you know, do they have other guys that could do that? Um, with Ronnie Bell out, you know, they're missing him not only in the throw game, but in the return game. He was an outstanding punt returner, um, both in terms of decision-making and a potential playmaker. So Michigan will continue throughout the season to juggle this idea 
of do we throw the safe guy out there and that is Caden Kolazar, or do we go somebody with you know who has more big play potential, namely uh, the two guys that to me pop are AJ Henning and uh, Blake Corum, and I'm sure they're working on on that now. Corum is an interesting case because it's like wow he's you know he's a big part of the offense. He's already returning kickoffs. Is that too much um, to ask of the young man? And um, from what I heard as well, he's also, uh, uh, when I heard uh, Jay Harbaugh on the radio show with John Jansen, uh, Jay Harbaugh also talked about how he want, he wants to be in there as a gunner on punk coverage. So, you know, with, his, with, with that speed, he could be a weapon there as well. And Michigan is, does not shy away, uh, Coach Jim Harbaugh does not shy away from using frontline players on special teams. That's something he talked about recently which is a Michigan tradition, you know, both Heisman uh, Trophy winners in the 80s and 90s, Desmond Howard and Charles Woodson, were guys who had an impact on special teams, not on not only on offense and defense, right? So I think a, I think a key there will be uh, the development of Donovan Edwards and what type of role he plays. You know, the he only had one carry last week, so the if this becomes a three-headed backfield and not just a two-headed backfield that does allow you to use Corum more on special teams potentially as a gunner potentially as a punt return guy if you think he's the most dynamic there uh, player there as well so I think that's something to be interesting that'll something be that's interesting to follow as the season moves along and you know if you're a football nerd uh, like myself it's just interesting to see how all these moving pieces impact other parts of the game right like you know if you're getting that third running back the very very talented Donovan Edwards on the field more that does allow you to bolster your special teams by using your star running back Blake Corum there or do they just feel you know what Blake Corum is too valuable he is our best offensive player right now he is our best weapon right now we need to use him on offense and figure out the special teams and not necessarily force him there. You know, just some thoughts to throw out there. Um, as I said, this was a, a pretty comfortable victory. We got Northern Illinois coming up. We got Rutgers coming up. So you got to kind of search for some topics to talk about. But, I, you know, I told you when the season started, folks, be happy, be excited, be optimistic. And there's nothing we've learned in two weeks that would tell us anything otherwise. Why not? Why not this Michigan team? Why not 2021 Michigan Wolverines to be the team that finally breaks through, finally wins the Big Ten East under Jim Harbaugh, finally beats the Ohio State Buckeyes, who looked vulnerable on Saturday against Oregon. If you want to hear more about that, you can listen to my other podcast, The Big Big Ten football show. I had a guest on, Lloyd Ribner III, an Ohio State Buckeye himself, to talk about that game. Um, you know, and and they were beat up on both sides of the ball, uh, beat up along the line of scrimmage. Oregon beat them on the line of scrimmage, particularly the offensive line. It wasn't big plays; it was methodical drives that beat Ohio State. Yeah, Oregon Verdell had one big run, but. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if this is not Chip Kelly's Oregon Ducks team. You know, they don't have uh, DeAnthony Thomas in that backfield. They don't have somebody as fast and explosive as a Blake Corum. 
They did it because they have a big offensive line, Mario Cristobal, power running, and and they, you know, that's something that maybe, maybe Michigan can do. Now, both teams are going to have to get better. You know, it's still just week two. This game, we're talking about a week 12 game. So Ohio State's defense can get better, but Michigan's offense can become more balanced as well. So, you know, Penn State, obviously, let's keep a close eye on them. Let's not discount Sparty, who's playing Miami this week. That's a road game for Michigan. Could they be a little more chippy, a little better than we thought going into the season? I thought that was a possibility. Um, you know, I, I gave you, I gave the people who listen to our uh, Big Bets podcast um, on the Big Big Ten Football Show feed. Um, I had them over. The four and a half wins on the season. I thought that was a way too low number for Michigan State. So those are the three biggest Big East teams to keep an eye on, as well as Wisconsin, a team from the West. But right now, through two weeks, we've seen nothing, nothing to to lead us believe that the Michigan Wolverines cannot play with any team in the Big Ten right now. All right, so they you know enjoy it, enjoy this season. And I'll be back on Friday to talk a little bit more about the upcoming game against Northern Illinois. Thanks a lot for joining me here on Die Tryant. I'm your host, Daniel Mogollon. You can follow me on Twitter. You can listen to the podcast on Twitter. We should be on all the other mediums fairly shortly. I got to check. We might even be on already. I got to double check that. Um, I should know more information for you um, by Friday. But if not, uh, on my Twitter, Dan the Sportman, you can find links to this podcast as well as the um, the big Big Ten football show pod uh, where we have the big bets coming up later in the week. And I recorded a show um, earlier this morning to talk about uh, the entire Big Ten, uh, the ramifications out of week two, the projections, what we think, the recalibrations are Ohio State and Iowa um, over, under, or properly ranked, things of that nature. So check that one out as well if you're a Big Ten football fan in addition to being a Michigan Wolverines football fan. Thanks again for allowing me to come into your homes and talk to Michigan football. Go Blue!